Hello and welcome back to Ocean Pancake. Today I was joined by Brenda Cox, who's the director of Endangered Encounters in Tonga Vavau. This is a whale watching boat and they have been doing whale watching expeditions for over 14 years. She's got five thousand hours of experience and today we chat about all things covid and what's happened with the tourism and how social media is actually contributing to the decrease of humpback whales in the area so please stay tuned for all of that and of course thank you so much for supporting me in the work i do if you would like to um you know learn more head on over to the ocean pancake uh website or the vegan diver cat YouTube channel or the Vegan Diver Cat Instagram. And also, very sorry, I couldn't get my dog to stop barking, so you may hear him in the background. So sorry about that. Every day, there's a new news story about the crisis facing our ocean, whether it's the plastic issue, overfishing, pollution. If the oceans die, we die. Fortunately, we have plenty of environmental activists, marine conservationists, and eco-warriors who are out there every day fighting to protect our oceans and our Earth. On the Ocean Pancake Podcast, we're going to be hearing from some of them about how to decrease our environmental footprint, go plastic-free, participate in ocean conservation, cleanups, and even maybe some marine science. So, welcome to the Ocean Pancake Podcast, where the goal is sustainability and living a turquoise life. My name is Kat Andreskova, and I'm your host today. Let's get into this week's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Ocean Pancake Podcast. Today, we are joined by Brenda Cox, who's the Director of Endangered Encounters located in Vavao, Tonga. Welcome to the podcast, Brenda. Thank you very much. Now, for anyone who doesn't know about Vavao and Tonga, this is probably the spot where majority of the incredible footage and photos of humpback whales and calves has come from in the last few years. Could you tell us a little bit about Vavao and its you know, positioning in the humpback whale world? Well, I think um, Vavao was one of the first places in the Pacific to begin swimming with humpback whales, which started way back in 1993. Our pioneer was Alan Bow, who saw the whales and decided that maybe it would be a good idea to have a swim with them. Mm -hmm. And so the industry has slowly um, developed since then. Vavao is a beautiful place for that. We're over 50 islands here. And our islands are not spaced out too far. So we have wonderful areas where we can be protected and, and swim with the whales as the whales migrate and rest inside and outside the islands. Um, we've been featured in a lot of films and documentaries. Um, I personally worked with IMAX in 2012 and helped them produce the IMAX feature Humpback Whales. Oh, wow. Which was it was an incredible experience working with Howard Hall and Michelle Hall and the whole IMAX crew. That was a wonderful experience. So, um, and I know we've had other operators work with the BBC and also with um, Planet Earth documentaries and most of those footages have all been from Vavao. Mm -hmm. So we're very, very fortunate here to have such a beautiful place to 
swim with the whales. Yeah, and the visibility is amazing. And from what we've seen, at least, and heard is that since the whale swims have been happening since 1993, the humpbacks are uh, were almost used to people, so they weren't afraid. Well, that's what we started to see in the 2000s, especially the mid to the late 2000s, 2005 forward. Um, we would have what's called um, moms that would come back. We actually ended up identifying a super mom and we have documentation of her calfing from 1998 all the way up until 2017 where um, she would have a calf about every two years and she's been seen in Bavao and in the Hapai group. Oh wow. And those are normally the mothers that when we do have in-water encounters, um, they just sit there and we just figure, oh, this is just one of our moms. And mm -hmm. as long as we sit quietly and respect her space, she just lets us sit there and play with her baby. Or actually the baby plays with us. <laughs> yeah, the babies <laughs> are very playful. <laughs> they are very, sometimes a little bit too much. Yeah. Uh. It's, it's been my dream always to, to go to Tonga. Um, my, my friend, uh, David, actually lived there last year for four months and did one of the seasons. Uh, I have a podcast with him about diving and all, all sorts of stuff. But yeah, it's, I, I was actually thinking about going this year, but then COVID. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so how has COVID impacted you guys out there in this isolated, very tourism-based area? Um, it's affected us greatly, um, especially in Vavao, because the whale watch season from July through October is our main revenue source. And now that's been just completely cut off. So we're struggling to find ways to survive until it's a safe time for the borders to open. And it's not easy on um, businesses or the local population. Go, now we're just going back to uh, traditional Tongan living, you know, mm -hmm. going in the bush and planting gardens and bartering and trading and, and surviving as best we can. That sounds very difficult, but at the same time, kind of beautiful. You know what I mean? In this, <laughs> in this time, like to have the ability to plant the gardens and you know, live in that community. I don't know, it sounds nicer than some of the quarantines we're seeing in the big cities where people are trapped in tiny apartments. And I don't know, it's, it's a weird Absolutely. year. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, sometimes we have to remember that we are still in a COVID-free country. Mm -hmm. So we're not wearing masks and we don't have isolation and our lives are pretty much going on as usual. Um, with the exception of, of no tourists. So I think in that respect, we're extremely lucky here. And hopefully our COVID-free status will continue until the world is ready to start traveling again. Yeah, Australia is also very lucky in that respect. Um, I've noticed that, you know, a lot of people have been saying, oh, because of COVID, the De the decrease of travel and the decrease of tourism, it could be a potential breather for our oceans or various um, 
tourist heavy destinations to kind of get a break from uh, people there all the time. Have you found um, differences in, in your wildlife or in your humpback whale behaviors this year or the numbers or anything like that from the lack of people and tourism and boat pollution? Um, well, we've definitely seen a difference with boat pollution, especially in the harbor where we normally get, you know, 50 to 100 yachts a year. Um, so I think it's for us in Vavau and our humpback whales, it's, it's the perfect time for them to get a rest and um, learn that they can travel throughout the islands like they did many years ago um, freely mm -hmm. and on their own. I think it's, um, I think COVID is a gift to our oceans, really, especially yeah. here in Vavau. That's, that's good, because here in Australia, it's been the complete opposite. Um, we found that our fishing numbers have skyrocketed, and most of our reefs are now, well, from what I've seen from personal, personal experience, there's a lot less fish now than there was a year ago, because now everyone in Western Australia or Australia in general is just going out four wheel driving and fishing rather than mm. traveling overseas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that wouldn't be so good. Um, <laughs> we have a lot of fishing going on, but a lot of uh, some, we have a few people that like to go out and, and go fishing and, and I may do that. I haven't quite decided yet, but you know, they're catching, they're catching fish out there. Um, we had a pretty good cyclone blow that came through mm -hmm. last year. So, uh, I went snorkeling at one of our favorite snorkel spots for tourists, which is called Swallows Cave, which got um, hit pretty hard by the, the waves and cyclonic winds. And I was really sad to see the, uh, the coral damage to that area. So hopefully um, that will have some time to recover before the tourists come back because that is a favorite stop for whale watch operators. Is it an area which is um, quite densely surrounded by reef or is it quite isolated? Um, well, it's at the uh, sort of at the end of an island and mm -hmm. it's like a cave that you can swim in and there's a large amount of bait fish inside. Mm -hmm. And then on the outside, it is a beautiful reef that drops pretty far and there's lots and lots of reef fish that inhabit that area so that when people snorkel out and look down on the reef it's quite beautiful to see all the different colors and the fish and the reef yeah and that that's kind of all gone right now or or at least I would say 60 percent gone so hopefully there'll be some healing time yeah unfortunately it's it's taking the oceans uh, quite a while to heal. I know I was just, I just got back from being at sea for 10 days in the coral sea and the most remote reefs, Lihu Reef, which I don't know, I wanna say 200 nautical miles off the coast of Australia, almost near Papua mm. New Guinea. And it was heartbreaking. I mean, it was dead. Like mm. so much of the reef was just rubble and they had a really bad cyclone about three years ago. Um, but because it's so isolated out there, um, there's not enough nutrients or, you know, um, species flow to kind of rejuvenate it faster than, than that. So it's still taking wow. some time to heal, unfortunately. Well, luckily, yeah, well, I was going to say, luckily, we started with um, SMA zones, 
with the local islands and the villages. So there's certain areas where they cannot go fishing in order for that area to uh, rejuvenate itself. So hopefully with the use of those SMAs in the different areas, the reefs around all of the Vavau Islands will begin to look better. They were, they were getting pretty bad, but um, the SMAs have made a huge difference. That's great. When were the SMAs put in place? Um, I believe it was about four years ago. Okay. And this year they did, I could be wrong, I don't remember exactly, but this year they did another uh, community consultation mm -hmm. about the borders and possibly increasing some more SMA zones. So that has gone back to government. So we'll see what happens with that. But hopefully, um, at least the interior so that fish can rehabitate the area. Yeah, it's really important, even just having these pockets of protection, because those areas can then repopulate and then the fish migrate out of there and the whole area kind of does better. Um, even just from the little SMA zones. Have you found that they're still being um, respected during this time of COVID? Yes, they are because um, the local villages are seeing the difference in their fish population and they understand how it's working. So it has been an, an amazing project. That's that's one of the key points, of course, is having people see the value in it because then they're more likely to protect um, the rules. But yeah, it takes exactly. a few years to see that return. So I'm glad it's reached that. So now it should be self-policing almost. <laughs> so you first reached out to me actually back in May. Um, can you believe how fast this year has gone? <laughs> yeah, um, I know. Uh, where, where you told me that you've been a whale swim operator for 14 years. You have over 5,000 hours on the water with humpback whales um, and have been doing, you know, calf counts and research uh, for swimmers and boats um, since 2017, or was that earlier even? Um, no, we started in 2009. So yeah. you've, you've really seen, I mean, the pattern of um, how many humpbacks are coming into the area. Um, what have you seen in terms of the growing popularity and the increasing tourism of humpback whales? Has it had a positive or a negative effect for the area and the humpbacks? Um, unfortunately, it has had a bit of a negative effect and a lot of that is social media. Mm -hmm. So media, people see clips of certain behaviors and interactions, and that's what they want. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of pressure put on operators and skippers to give clients that experience. We get a lot of pressure from inbound tour operators, professional photographers that bring tour groups and stuff here. And yeah, so there's a lot of um, unrealistic expectations put on um, operators and skippers to give them the experience that they see on social media. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of times that experience is not within the regulations and guidelines that, that we need to adhere to. So um, 
it's put a lot of pressure on the humpback whales and um, I've definitely personally seen a, a decline in the population over the last three to four years. And have you felt that's, you know, due to the numbers of tourists going or more the behaviors of the tourists where, you know, humpback mothers are feeling more threatened because, you know, as we all know, what's happening on social media is people getting really close to the calves and, you know, they want to be in the photo or in the video with the calf and the humpback whale mom. And we've, of course, seen some touching as well, which is definitely mm. not um, advisable yeah. or okay. No, it's, <laughs> um, no, it's okay. We're allowed to go within our regulations. We can go within 10 meters of the whale. Mm -hmm. The problem is that um, controlling the the tourist in the water? Yeah, because we stay together as a group. We're allowed four swimmers in the water with one uh, certified guide. So the responsibility is to keep all that big group of five together. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times you get people that are excited, people that want the selfie shot and they start chasing after the whale or they start chasing after the calf or the mom or the, and then of course the whale reacts and um, then you have to go back on the boat and tell them you need to stay together yeah and so it it is it can be challenging um, managing the tourist expectations and um, we we need to do that constantly yeah. And I mean, it, it's really hard, I think, as, as a tourist, you know, you want that shot and you want that experience. But I lived in an area where we were doing humpback whale um, swims as well in the Comoros. We, we just started, we actually followed a lot of your guys's regulations from Vavao four people in the water with one certified guide, you know, the, the rules about where the boats are allowed to go. So we, you know, we tried to follow that to the best of their abilities. And I lived there for eight months. And I think I had about three interactions with humpback whale mothers and calves. And I have, I have videos of them, but there, mm -hmm. you know, um, there was one amazing interactions I had. I mean, one was magical, but the other ones are mostly just like hanging out and then they swam, swam past us. Um, you know, decided to, to keep moving on. And that was me there in the water almost every day for eight months. And these are the, wow. this is the footage I have, you know, and it, absolutely stunning and beautiful, but people need to realize that if you're there for a day or a week, you, you can't, you know, just snap your fingers and have the ocean do what you see on social media. Like the people <laughs> no. who have this footage have most likely been there season after season, month after month in the water all the time to get that perfect shot. If they're obeying the rules, of course. <laughs> well, that's, that's it. That's exactly it. And when I get inquiries from people, I tell them that I recommend that you book at least three to five days mm -hmm. on the water. And it got to the point where two years ago, I actually stopped taking out people that didn't want to go out for more than three or more days mm -hmm. because it's it's too difficult to deliver that product that they think that they're going to get. 
this episode is sponsored by you guys. Thank you to all my patrons for sponsoring this episode. Even $5 a month helps me continue the work I'm doing, helps me to fund cleanups and education programs and working on some of the very exciting projects that are coming out. And of course, you can also join the family, get yourself a Plastic is the Killer t-shirt. I only have a few left, so about like 20 or so left. So head on over, get yourself one now, um, spread the love, spread the plastic-free message, help support our oceans, help support Ocean Pancake. And thank you guys so much. Uh, it's Patreon slash Ocean Pancake podcast, or just find Ocean Pancake anywhere on the internet. Not many things are called Ocean Pancake. And now back to the podcast. I can say, sadly, that back in the early days, like pre, say, 2014, mm-hmm. um, whale swimming was just so, so simple here. The whales were everywhere. There weren't a lot of boats. And we spent maybe three or four hours out on the water. Mm-hmm. And we would have a beautiful swim with a resting mother and calf. And we would see some juveniles or adults breaching. We'd see some heat runs. And then we'd go have a picnic, a swim in Swallows Cave. And by the end of four hours, you know, we were back on shore. Mm-hmm. So the whales weren't being inundated with boats all day long. And the more boats that came out, the more the whales weren't sticking around anymore. And you can understand that because if you have a beautiful resting mother and calf that has spent seven hours boat after boat after boat after boat, um, she's going to take off. Yeah the next day when she sees another boat coming. I mean, I don't know if that's scientific or not. I can just go by what I've seen over the last 14 years Mm -hmm. and it's changed a lot. And thankfully the government in 2017, I believe it was enacted the seven hour rule Mm. where they said, okay, you can only be out on the water for seven hours because we would have boats out there for eight, 10, 12 hours a day. So that means that whales were being inundated for that long period of time, which was not good. So thankfully, government stepped in and put in the seven hour rule. You also mentioned that originally you guys had 13 uh, whale swim operators allowed in the area, and then it actually increased to 22. um, So almost doubled. Uh, How many people are on these swim tour operator vessels or like what where are all these people coming from and like what's what's happening (laughs) well um originally cabinet and sprep designated 13 licenses for Mm -hmm. vaval yeah and um i i can't answer what happened and why it changed and why licensing went up to 22 um i'm guessing it was tourism pressure (laughs) just yeah the numbers tourism and um we're getting and it's mostly by word of mouth people coming here but it's primarily these boats are being booked by inbound tour operators and they're Mm -hmm. booking people's boats out you know four and five and six boats and and gathering up groups of people to bring here um i did take out the previous um the guy who worked for Sprint previously in 2018, he hadn't been 
in Bavao since I think 2012. And I took him and his wife and his grandchildren out. And he was pretty um, shocked at what he saw. Mm-hmm. And he made a really good recommendation. And the recommendation was that the tourist interest is here, but yeah. we can't have all of these boats on the water. So, but we actually need our boats that can hold more tourists. Mm-hmm. So preferably your boat has to be able to hold a minimum of 12 tourists. And that way we have bigger boats, which means that we need less boats. We only have so many accommodations. It's a very mm-hmm. uh, small island group. Unlike Tongatapu, who has a lot of accommodations, we don't have the luxury of a lot of accommodations. So um if we could increase the boat size like he recommended, that would make up for the people, put less pressure on the whales. Although in saying that, I have to say how difficult it is to get three groups of four people in the water all having the same experience. I usually will only do eight is my maximum. I'm surveyed for 12, but I only take eight people at a time unless it's like one group of friends you know that all want to come together which occasionally I get yes well that's what um Dr. Kate Sprogis was saying in the other episode we had about the humpback whales um after the incidents happened here in western Australia where um a couple of people were actually crushed by humpback whales if you guys want to listen to that head on over to that episode but um she was saying that Uh, it's not only the boat number from what they've been finding now that it's also like the frequency at which the engines are going is impacting the humpback whales so like sometimes a bigger boat going slower is better than a small boat going faster there's all these small things we don't even realize what we're doing um to to humpback whale migration patterns and their you know comfort levels um so yeah, there's unfortunately just not enough science yet to understand the impacts. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And that's something that Lorenzo discovered when he mm. was here in his report, that he noticed certain boats and certain engines and certain speeds have absolutely have an effect on the whales. So um, there's a lot to be learned and a lot of, of adjustments need to be made if we want to not overly interfere with their migration, with their having, with their mating. And um, I think that's why we need to look at COVID as a gift. It's a gift yeah. to the whale to say, hey, we're gonna give you a break and we're gonna regroup and figure out how to approach this industry using all means of conservation and sustainability. Yeah, well, hopefully this time can really be used to, you know, potentially reduce the numbers from 22 back to 13 or, you know, some sort of regulations with the bigger boats. Are private vessels allowed to go and see the humpback whales or is it just tour operators that can do, does any of that happen? Um, (laughs) Well, the only people that can actually interact with the humpback whales are licensed whale watch mm-hmm. operators. Um, if you're not a licensed operator, you have to stay 300 meters away, okay. which as an operator, I would prefer to increase that to 500 meters. 
-hmm. because a lot of times um, people don't understand the distances so they can understand, you know, a half a kilometer versus, and, but we, you know, occasionally we do have issues with um, vessels attempting to interact. And um, luckily the last couple of years, we've had the police boat out on the water. So we've been able to call them and send them over to vessels that are, um, you know, breaking the regulations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I can imagine if like the, all the tour operators are full that, you know, some people may want to find alternative ways. What can you suggest to people who want to swim with humpback whales? Like how, how can they best, you know, protect them and support the business? whether now during COVID times or then hopefully when the borders reopen? Um, I would just say to seek out an operator that is experienced and preferably an owner operator. There's a handful of us that are owner operators, which means we're on our boat, we're with our staff, we're managing expectations mm -hmm. and our, the group of us, our main goal is conservation. We do not interfere with the whale. If the whale swims away from us, that means that they don't want to interact with us and we are not going to chase after them. Yeah. So um, I think it's really important for people to investigate the tour operators that are available, find out how much experience they have, if their owner operators in the industry because we're, we're the ones that care the most about the whales. Mm -hmm. No, that's a really good point because you are not only, you know, protecting your own business, but you're also protecting, you know, the, the future of it. And and because you're interlinked very Absolutely. closely with these humpback whales and them coming back and people having a good experience, but the humpback whales staying safe um, and yeah hopefully doing okay. Well, I think that, uh, I think it's important. It's something that's always um, been paramount to me is for me, it's a privilege. Yeah. I feel extremely privileged to be a whale watch operator and how I fell into it sort of by accident, but I fell into it in a really good way. And, um, I want, when I put my guests in the water, I want them to feel that feeling I feel every time I go into the water and I'm with a whale that wants to look at us like we want to look at them. Um, there's just no experience like it. They, they say to me, well, Brenda, what is it like? And I say, you know what, let's go in. And then you tell me if you can find the words to explain to me what you've just experienced yeah. And a lot of the times they get back on the boat and once their tears subside, they just look at me and say, there are no words. And even after 14 years, just talking to you about this, it just gives me the chills and chokes me up because I just love it so very much. And that's what I want people to experience. And I think that, you know, for, for people who are saying we should stop swimming with humpback whales or we should remove ourselves from the ocean more because the boats, you know, do pollute and travel does cause a lot of issues. I, I understand right. all that, but that feeling that you're describing is why we are here. That's why we are passionate about protecting these creatures. And 
yeah I'm, I'm tearing yes. up now I'm like I'm so <laughs> emotional just like um well it's I yeah. think and I think that we can do it I think we can do it respectfully mm -hmm. but you know we need to pull ourselves back and and give the whale the most respect possible because I'm here to tell you they're going to give it back to you mm -hmm. I mean some of experiences that I have had in the water I just are just unbelievable and um I think if we can respect I think it's both good for the whale and good for the person who wants to experience it correctly and respectfully I I think you're a hundred percent right um <laughs> I don't know I'm just hopeful that one day I can travel to Tonga and, and see it, see, see the beauty firsthand. I mean, I'm very lucky here. I do get to still swim with them. Um, the visibility is not as good as Tonga. It's not quite 50 meters, um, but they do still surprise us and come out of nowhere. And just suddenly you're, you know, you're minding your own business, taking photos of a coral and then there's a giant whale next to you. So it's... <laughs> As you said, it's it's a privilege to you know to live in a place where wildlife is so um, you know abundant and close by. Yes, absolutely. Um, a friend of of mine, we were able to um, two years ago unexpectedly because we do get sperm whales that come oh, through. Wow. And a friend of ours was fishing, and he gave her a call and said, "Hey, there's a pot of sperm whales out here." And that's the one whale I hadn't seen here yet. I'd seen the false killers. I've seen the pilots, but I had never seen the sperm. I even saw two minky whales one year, which was really surprising. Yeah, we had and minkies so, here too. Oh. Yes, yes, but it's, they're very rare here. Mm -hmm. And we had two of them here one year. So she called me up and said, get your stuff ready. Let's go. And we went out there and we found them. And... Um, wow, that's a very different experience than being in the water with a humpback whale. Um, but it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. He just kind of stopped and looked at us and we just kind of looked at him and it was, it was amazing. We even had a baby sperm whale breach, which was uh -huh. phenomenal. So we just, we just took a couple of dips in and then just watched them and, and, and went on our way. But that was an amazing experience. Yeah, I was um, I was just on the little boat um, with my partner and uh, a couple of my friends who were heading out to the fish aggregating devices, which they've made for the fishermen um, off the right. coast of Exmouth. Um, they're like boys with chains that drop down to. I didn't know how deep. <laughs> like I didn't realize. Very. You have some of the here, yes. <laughs> I didn't realize how deep we were. Anyway, we. We're just minding our business and we keep hearing this noise and we're all looking at each other like who's making that noise and we we don't realize and then suddenly minkies come up and they had been there the whole time and they were just making wow. these sounds at each other and we were all like who who's doing this uh and they stayed with us for like an hour and we were just swimming around and they were swimming around too and they would like show up and then swim away and then come back and you know, then I got back on the boat, like, wow, that was incredible. And my partner's like, you didn't realize it's 500 meters deep here, right? I was like, what? 
what what are you saying no 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 no. can't be it's like 50 right I could see the bottom he was like "Mm, nope Mm -hmm. (laughs) wow Um, that's amazing and that's a perfect example of you knew they were there you respected that mm. they were there and you allowed them to choose to interact with you instead of going and chasing after them so wow what an amazing experience well they fully they fully came to find us you know we we didn't realize they were there until we were in the water and that's when they came to to check us out and then you know we we swam around a little bit trying to get footage of them and they would like swim away and then swim back and then one of them was very cheeky it was just this amazing experience where you realize how intelligent these creatures are and you do have to well it's not that you let them dictate the interaction like they will do that because they are so much more comfortable and you know um, able in the water than we are. Um, we just right. need to be respectful with our boats because I guess that's what can really harm them and um, keep our boats. Well, away. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that well, that's exactly it. Keep them slow. Keep them quiet, mm-hmm. and don't um, don't force yourself on them. Yeah, if you don't exactly. force yourself on them, they will come to you. Oh, just it's it's magical. Um, yeah. I can't wait to travel well, now. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, you never know what's going to happen in the next six months with vaccines and so on and so forth. Maybe at least here in the South Pacific between Tonga, Fiji, Australia, New Zealand, Cook Islands, we can start some sort of blue lane travel. Yeah. You know, I think we, that would be we might be heading in that direction because Australia is almost COVID free. I think we still have a few cases in South Australia and Victoria, but the the rest of the states. I mean, we had lockdown in March, I think, mm-hmm. for like 10 days of only being able to spend time with people from your household. That was that was right. It. <laughs> so we're very lucky. <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's really good. I think us. Australia and New Zealand have been good examples to the rest of the world of how to get this COVID under control. And, you know, hopefully that can happen. So next whale season in July, mm-hmm. um, get a few people here and hopefully just get a few boats out on the water and hopefully our whales will come. Yep. Well, hopefully the, their numbers will be increasing after the little break they had during COVID from um, yes. a lot of interactions. Um, definitely as as a parting you know message I always like to finish my podcast with one piece of advice that you would give people who would like to protect the oceans or in this case humpback whales what would you give as just one kind of leaving message um I think the message would have to be to respect Mm -hmm. respect the ocean and its creatures they're not there to pet and harass and they're not there to give you the perfect picture you know mm-hmm. respect their presence yeah um, be respectful of their environment you are a guest in their environment so respect them and their environment is what I would say I find it amazing that I've done 51 podcasts now and every single person's answer is so different, but so really? poignant. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to collect all of these because that's an amazing point 
we have to respect our oceans and the creatures. <laughs> yes, yes. And stop using single-use plastic. Yeah, that's that's another big one. Oh, I I was just at the coral caves in, in the coral sea and there was plastic there. It was horrible. Oh. It was just... Oh. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother 20 podcasts. Um, Brenda, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for um, joining us here today. And I'm so glad we finally got the opportunity to talk. And hopefully we'll get to talk next year after hopefully travels reinstated and you can share your experiences on what has happened, if the whales have come back and if, you know, if their numbers are increased and all of that. Oh, I would love to. Thank you very, very much. Once again, thank you so much, Brenda, for having a chat with me today. I can't believe it's been so long coming. This whole year has just flown by. I cannot believe I also got teary while thinking about the swims I had with humpback whales, but that just shows how amazing our underwater world and why we need to protect it and keep working towards a cleaner, greener, bluer ocean. As always, thank you so much to Graham Mose, who's the mind behind the funky beats in this episode. He is absolutely amazing. Check him out. He's been doing some amazing live performances um, on uh, Facebook and all that. So Graham Mose Music, find him on YouTube, Spotify, all things music. And yeah, I'll see you guys in the next episode. Oh, and if I don't talk to you before the holidays, merry holiday season to you.